but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from you, from the Lord, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink, eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. That's 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen through 34. Thank you, Mary Elizabeth, and thank you all for being with us this morning at River Oaks. It's great to have you here. A um, couple of things to mention before we get into our message this morning, because we will celebrate communion, uh, the Lord's Supper, after the message today. This is a season that uh, in church tradition is uh, referred to as the season of, of Lent. Now, sometimes people ask me, well, is, is Lent in the Bible? Is Ash Wednesday in the Bible? The answer is no. Um, it's not a scriptural celebration. But in church tradition, commemorates the 40 days when Jesus was in the wilderness uh, fasting prior to the beginning of his public ministry. And uh, the season of Lent, of course, leads into Easter Sunday, a time of great celebration. So uh, the question I sometimes ask about a, a, a tradition like that in the church, if it's not in the Bible, is does it support biblical teaching or does it 
contradict biblical teaching. If it contradicts it, of course, we should discard it. But many people have found that this can be a season of growing deeper in their devotion to the Lord as we approach Easter Sunday. So Lent, for some people, is a time when they'll give up something, maybe a, a chocolate or dessert or uh, social media. I told my wife I was giving up social media, and she said, well, you don't do social media. I said, yeah, that's why I'm not giving up chocolate or desserts. I actually, I like to add something to my devotional life as we approach the celebration of Easter, sometimes some extra, uh, extra scripture memory or uh, special times of prayer with the Lord. But one of the things we're providing for you all this year is a, is a little booklet simply called Experiencing Renewal. Uh, they're free at the Resource Center. If you want one, feel free to pick one up. The purpose of this is that it, I, I think the concept of experiencing renewal by uh, walking in greater dependence upon the Holy Spirit fits with this season in the life of our church. In the month of January, we focused our messages on experiencing renewal by praying the prayers of the Apostle Paul. We began some Wednesday evening times of worship and prayer. As we move into uh, the month of March and approach Easter Sunday, we'll be looking at those parts of 1 Corinthians that deal with the work of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ and how his gifts are used for the upbuilding of the body. So if it helps you, uh, pick one up today. I find that many Christians I've known over the years have a, have a right doctrine about the Holy Spirit, a right intellectual understanding of who he is, but relatively little experience of walking in his power. And the Bible tells us that we're to, to walk in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. Our daily lives are to be marked by the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. So if those are helpful, I commend those to you today. We continue today in our teaching of the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians written by the Apostle Paul. If you've never read this book before, it's a book in which the Apostle Paul is addressing a number of issues, some questions that had arisen in the church at Corinth. Others were issues the Apostle Paul needed to correct, certain things he needed to forbid, others he needed to correct so that they'd be done properly. And today the issue that he's dealing with in our passage is the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 11, the passage Mary Elizabeth read for us a moment ago, he begins with these words, in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better but for the worse. Now, when he says when you come together, he's talking about they're coming together to take communion, the Lord's Supper. Uh, maybe you grew up in a church tradition in which it was called the Eucharist. In most Protestant churches, uh, the Lord's Supper is one of two uh, sacraments. In Baptist churches, the word ordinances are, is typically used in place of, of sacraments. But a sacrament, in Protestant uh, understanding at least, is, is a sign of God's grace. And the two that are typically observed in Protestant churches are baptism, which we just celebrated, and the Lord's Supper. So we'll have actually both of those today. Now, if you grew up in a Catholic church, there's a bit of a different understanding 
of what sacraments are, what they convey, what they do, and how many there are. I believe in the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church, there are seven sacraments, and there's a, a bit of a different understanding uh, as to what, what's happening in the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And I want to recommend a resource to you if you'd like to dig more deeply into this subject. Pastor David Holcomb, our discipleship pastor, uh, did a teaching some time ago called Creeds, Confessions, and Sacraments, uh, three one-hour teachings that are on our YouTube channel, and I think they are excellent. So I would recommend those to you if you want to know what, what about the Apostles' Creed and the sacraments, communion, baptism, uh, what do they mean in different churches? I recommend that to you. But getting back to our passage for this morning, in the Gospels, Jesus instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. We read about that in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the only real teaching we have about what the Lord's Supper signifies for us is found here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 34, our passage today. And it's interesting that the, the reason the Apostle Paul is addressing it here is because they were doing it so wrongly. The Apostle Paul begins by presenting the problem and saying, when you come together for this, celebrating communion, you're not coming together for the better, but for the worst. Why? There were problems with the way they celebrated the Lord's Supper, beginning with the divisions in the church. Paul writes, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. The Lord's Supper should be an expression of the oneness, the unity of the body of Christ. Jesus giving his body and his blood for all people of all time who would put their trust in him and who would become part of his one body. It should be a unifying sacrament for God's people. Instead, the Corinthians were adding to their divisions by the very way they went about celebrating the Lord's Supper. Division was one of the problems in the church at Corinth. Paul had addressed it since the very beginning of this letter of 1 Corinthians. In the first chapter, verses 10 to 12, we read these words, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. Paul goes on to note how they'd broken into factions in the church. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. The division was even being expressed in the way they partook, partook of the Lord's Supper. How? Some were engaging when they came together for the Lord's Supper in selfish feasting rather than concern for others. Now, here we get to some unusual words uh, in this chapter, and I want to take a look at what they mean. Paul writes, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. It's supposed to be coming together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, but he says you're not. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, one goes ahead with his own meal, one goes hungry, and another gets drunk. What in the world is going on here? In Corinth, in this time, the Lord's Supper was apparently being celebrated as part of a full meal. 
Now, this is not surprising because when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, as we read about in the Gospels before he went to the cross, he had gathered with his disciples and they were celebrating the Passover meal. They were having a full meal together and it was in that setting that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper and takes the bread and breaks it and said, this is my body which is given for you. And then the cup, this, the blood of the new covenant shed for you. So in Corinth, apparently, uh, they were celebrating the Lord's Supper as part of a full meal. But it was being taken, the meal was being taken in a way that emphasized class and wealth distinctions within the church. In the ancient world, biblical times, there were two things that really highlighted a person's wealth and social status. The clothing that you wore and the food that you ate. For example, Jesus, the Gospel of Luke, he tells a, a, a story about a rich man and Lazarus. And he begins with these words. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And then he contrasts him with the poor man Lazarus. But the two marks of the man's wealth are these. His clothing, clothed in purple and fine linen, and what he ate. He feasted sumptuously every day. Remember, these were times when there was frequent famine. People didn't have freezers and refrigerators full of, full of food. Wealthy people had an abundance of food, but others, not so much. Now, how were they celebrating the Lord's Supper? It may have been that they were meeting in a, in a home and uh, the host uh, was opening up the home to those who came for the Lord's Supper. Perhaps wealthier people came first. They didn't have to work late in the fields all day. And those Christians who were laborers or perhaps slaves or servants came later. And by that time, perhaps all the food was gone. It seems more likely to me, however, that people were coming together to this meal, bringing their own food with them. And um, perhaps the wealthy were coming with a great big container of, you know, fried chicken, potato salad, brownies, great big bottle of wine, and the poor folks, well, they didn't have much at all. Instead of a covered dish meal, maybe it was like a picnic, and, and, and the wealthier folks are in a cluster here, and the poor folks over there, and Paul's focusing on not merely the self-centeredness, but this particular problem, disregard for poor members. Disregard for poor members. Paul says, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? So the way they're going about this meal which is at the time they come together to take the Lord's Supper, the way they're celebrating the meal is actually humiliating the poor because they don't have anything to eat. Remember, Paul said, some are hungry. Somebody over here is drunk. What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Here's the key. The very sacrament of the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, giving his body on the cross, shedding his blood 
for all people. Remember that Christ is the one who said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Poor included in this one body, equally with the rich. The very sacrament should have emphasized the oneness of his body, but distinctions were being emphasized in the way they went about the Lord's Supper. And so the poor were being dishonored. The problem then that Paul notes in summary is this failure to discern the Lord's body. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. What does he mean by the body? Does he mean the body of Christ? That's important, given to us on the cross. Is he referring to to our own individual bodies? I think when Paul uses the words, the body here, discerning the body, I think he's talking about what he goes on to talk about extensively in the next chapter, the body of Christ, the corporate body, the, the, the people of God. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he's going to go on to say, just as the body is one and has mem- many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. In verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And in this chapter, I think when Paul talks about the body, discerning the body, he's talking about the people of God, considering others, taking communion in an unworthy manner would be dishonoring the other members of Christ's body, the other people for whom he gave his his body and his blood. We're one, one body, one people, and the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is supposed to be pointing to that in emphasizing that. So that's the problem in Corinth. This meal together that became uh, abusive in in the sense that it was actually humiliating poor people, didn't have enough to eat while others are gorging themselves, feasting sumptuously, some actually getting drunk. So what's the solution? What's the solution? You know, it's interesting that The teaching we have on the Lord's Supper in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul, the only real teaching about what's presented to us in the Gospels, arose out of this problem. That's sometimes the case with Scripture. Some of the great teaching we have arose out of a problem that had to be corrected. The solution is to understand first what Jesus has done for us and what the Lord's Supper represents. Now we get into this familiar passage that we have read many, many, many times in our church. Let's look carefully at it right now. Paul writes, as he goes back to the purpose of this sacrament, this holy thing we call the Lord's Supper, communion. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, these are Christ's words now, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now let me pause for a moment and ask you to just reflect just a few seconds on those words, for you. Jesus said that. This is my body for you. When you take communion, when you take the Lord's Supper, as a believer in Jesus, remember that Christ said this. This is for you. This was done for you. Paul continues, in the same way also he, that is Jesus, took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is something that we Christians are supposed to honor <clears throat> as we await the second coming of Jesus. We are to always remember, reflect upon what Jesus did for us when we partake of it. We are to remember that he did it for us. And when we partake of it, we're actually proclaiming something. That is, we're announcing something. We're declaring something. We're publicly making known something. That our faith is in him, in what he did on the cross, when he gave his body, when he shed his blood. The Lord's Supper reminds us not only of what Jesus did, but why he did it. He did it so that we would be freed from eternal judgment for our sins. There is a highly significant link between the Lord's Supper and the Passover that God instituted years earlier for the Israelites as they were about to come out of their slavery in Egypt. There, after Moses had declared and God had, had brought upon Egypt great uh, plagues of judgment. God brought one final judgment upon Egypt. We read about this in the book of Exodus chapter 12. We'll look at it just for a moment. God had said, I'll pass through the land of Egypt that night and I'll strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I'll execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood will be assigned for you in the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you. That's where we get the, the word Passover. God told the Israelites to take the blood of an unblemished lamb, a spotless lamb, applied to the doorpost, the lintel of their homes. And when the angel of death came through Egypt, bringing judgment on the Egyptian households, he would pass over their homes. We read in verses 26 to 27, when your children say, what do you mean by this service? You say it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. Now, what does that have to do with communion? Remember that when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he did it at the Passover meal with his disciples we should note also that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul has already told this to the Corinthians, as you see in the verses overhead, Christ 
our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Now, here's the reason I mention that. As the Passover celebration reminded the Israelites that God had passed over them in judgment because of the blood of the lamb, which in faith had been applied to their homes. The Lord's Supper reminds us, believers now, that the Lord himself, the spotless lamb, the lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, Jesus, the sinless one, the son of God, Jesus shed his blood so that we no longer come under judgment. He paid the debt for our sins. Christ died for sins, once for all the righteous, for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, so that in him we might be made the righteousness of God. That's the why of Jesus' sacrifice that we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. This is my body, he said, which is for you. So the solution is to understand this and furthermore to rightly discern the Lord's body. Remember that Paul said anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. To discern simply means to, to judge correctly. We discern the Lord's body as we, we consider every other member of Christ's body uh, to be equal with ourselves, members of the one body. Paul writes in verses 33 and verse 34, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home. Be better just to, to ta have your meal at home. So when you come together, it won't be for judgment. It won't be to focus on all the food and abundance you have and to humiliate the poor. Wait for one another. Now, how does this apply to us today? Because when we come together, I mean, we're not having a big meal. Fortunately, we don't have this particular problem. We may have a lot of other problems they didn't have, but we don't seem to have this particular one. But how does the principle Paul is teaching apply to us here? How does it translate to 2024? Well, I think for us it means asking when we take communion, how am I regarding others? Am I looking down on any other member of the body of Christ? because they're of a different social standing or, or a degree of education or, or wealth? Am I haughty, thinking myself a bit better than some other believer who has less, who knows less, who does less? Am I treating every member of Christ's body as someone for whom Jesus came and died? Paul says, the solution includes this. We should examine ourselves. He actually gives a warning. He says if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. And he says something here that's, that's a little surprising. He says anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Wow. Apparently this abuse in Corinth was bad enough that some people brought judgment upon themselves. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. 
please do not take that to mean anytime you or anyone else is sick that you're under a judgment from the Lord. Don't think that is the case. However, it was the case here in Corinth in this particular instance that judgment had come because of their abuse of the Lord's Supper. But remember this, whenever God brings judgment, Paul writes this, when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. When God brings judgment, it's not to condemn us, but that we not be condemned with the world. I would simply say this as we evaluate our hearts to take communion, just as a wrong approach to communion can lead to judgment, so I believe a right approach can lead to renewed faith, strengthening, encouragement, and a good work of God among us. And so in conclusion, I would just raise this one question. How can you and I honor the Lord's Supper? First, by understanding what it represents and what it means to receive it. Secondly, by honoring every other member of Christ's body. And thirdly, by examining ourselves in light of these things. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. If you didn't get one of these little uh, packets on the way in and you would like one, if you just raise your hand, I know our ushers would be pleased to bring those around to you now. Um, keep your hands up for just a moment as they're coming around. Uh, let me say this about communion. Uh, you don't need to be a member of our church. This may be your first day here, and you're very welcome to take communion here this morning. I do, however, believe that it's very important that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that you understand what it means to have put your faith in him as your Savior and Lord. Remember, Paul says when you do this, you're making a visible proclamation of what Christ has done for you. It's fine if you choose to skip it. Nobody's going to judge you for that. But if you feel today's the day that you're ready to put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, is your Lord, and you sincerely believe he died on the cross to pay for your sins, and you're willing to turn from sin and put your faith in here, in him, this would be a wonderful time to take communion for the first time as a believer in Jesus. And so I'd like to pray now, and give any that opportunity, and then examine ourselves, and then, if you'd like, invite you to take communion together. Would you join me as we pray? Father, first pray for anyone here who is uncertain whether he or she is truly a believer, a Christian, your follower. And if you're here today and you're not sure, but you are ready and willing to turn from your sin and to turn to Jesus Christ, I'd invite you right where you are to pray a simple prayer saying, Dear God, I do believe that Jesus died on the cross for me, that he paid the debt for my sin. Lord, I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Jesus, I now trust you as my Savior and my Lord. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. 
Father, for those of us who are believers, as we take a moment of silence, would you search our hearts? Lead us to acknowledge before you any wrongdoing we need to confess and to trust in your ongoing cleansing by the blood of our Savior, Jesus.